Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to it. You are listening to Tell Me Everything, the little show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Right here at the intersection of What the Fuck O'Clock and Are You Guys a Podcast or a Radio Show? Good God. Well, we are both, my friends. Okay. Chris Houseltz, our executive producer, live in South Carolina. Thea Harper is running this thing from Brooklyn. I come to you from Manhattan. If you are one of our Trump-supporting loved ones or one of our DeSantis-supporting loved ones, I know you're going through the transition right now. Love to hear from you guys as well. I promise we will never lie to you. And that's more than I can say for those two humps. And, uh, of course, hello to everyone who's not listening live but listening on SiriusXM On Demand or on the app or on the John People Saying podcast. We love you. You are the daywalkers. Please feel free to call anytime if you're near a radio in the evening. We'd like to meet you. And also, please write to us at JohnFuglesang.com or at our show's Facebook page and let us know what you're angry about or inspired about or your promises of glory. Big Pimpin', <laughs> I'm going to be performing this weekend. They, they asked me to come up and play this theater, this cabaret in uh, in Garrison, New York, and, and just come up and do like an hour. And you know what? I've, I've got like an hour, an hour 20 that, that needs some, some work that I'm, I'm working on. So I said yes. So we will be playing live at the Phillipstown Depot Theater. In Garrison's Landing, in Garrison, New York. You can go to phillipstowndepotheater.org or go to my website or Twitter to get all the information if you're in the Hudson Valley. It's going to be a lot of road shows this year. Uh, this is just the humble beginnings. 866-997-4748 is our number. Tonight, we got a good one coming up. I always say that. I, I never mean it. But tonight's not, tonight, tonight really is a good one. Uh, some of our favorite regulars, Mr. Bob Seska, will be here on the Love Fest. Mr. Keith Price, our comedy daddy, will be here as well. And um, I'm really excited to welcome in the middle hour, uh, Daniel Ohms, who wrote a very, very moving memoir uh, called Memoirs of an Ordinary Guy. But um, he's someone who talks about uh, alcohol and alcohol abuse, and um, he's going to talk with us tonight about this thing called Dry January. Have you heard of the Dry January? It's it's sort of like, you know, you, you, you try to just take one month to not poison your body with too much booze. In fact, you, you take a whole, a whole January to not have any booze, which is very hard for some of us, very easy for some of us. And um, he actually had a great list of tips to maintaining a sober life or at least a sober January. And, uh, you know, they've told us for years, well, alcohol's good. Well, a little alcohol's good. Well, no, no, a little alcohol's good for your heart. Now they're back to telling us no alcohol is good. All alcohol is poison. Let's talk about it. I mean, what's your limit? What what's what works for you? Do you take breaks? Have you taken breaks? 
Have you taken a break and decided you liked how it felt on the break better than how it felt drinking? Love to know. We're at 866-997-4748. We have moist January here. We, we, a little, little, little bit. It's, it's moist, not totally dry. <laughs> let's get to it. Um, let's do a show. Tonight, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling. Let's talk about the party of Dine and Dash. Because, you know, when we're old and dying and our lives are flashing before our eyes, it is going to be such a drag to watch all the parts where we all cared about the debt ceiling. Um, we are broadcasting live and recording this on a Wednesday night. Tomorrow, the Thursday, we'll uh, see the U.S. reach our statutory debt limit. Janet Yellen said it. And when Yellen's yelling, you know, I'm showing up. So Republicans are digging in their heels and uh, Democrats don't want to bend over and capitulate for the Republicans, um, for reasons I'll get to in a moment, it's going to be a showdown. Raising the debt ceiling is necessary in this civilized society to pay off debt. It's already been incurred. And now there is a knife at the throat of your American government. And that knife is held by Republicans. And they are extortionists. And they are threatening to cut our government's throat unless the government more or less cuts its own throat. That's what we're looking at. The White House uh, has accused congressional Republicans of unprecedented economic vandalism after Andy Biggs, the Arizona congressman, said that uh, we should decline to raise the debt ceiling. <laughs> now, it's going to get scary and you're going to hear a lot of people on both sides uh, alarming you. And you should be alarmed because the MAGA Republicans are essentially we're going to see if they are willing to permanently destroy America's economy just to own the libs. It's quite a test for Kevin McCarthy, the party that says government doesn't work won't stop trying to prove it. Now, why are we having to deal with the debt ceiling right now? You might wonder this. You might ask yourself, self, I thought the midterms of 2022, the Republican Party was focused on fighting inflation. That's all I heard, right? Fighting inflation, uh, fighting crime, fighting immigrants, fighting wokeness. Oh my God, the wokeness. I, I'm, I'm waiting for Kevin McCarthy to make us more comatose and less woke. Socialism. I, I remember Republicans talking about how we had to make America energy independent, uh, supply chain. <clears throat> you get the idea. They weren't talking about the deficit when they were campaigning a few months ago, they weren't talking about balancing the budget and they really weren't talking about cutting Medicare, Social Security or Medicaid. During the midterms, the Republicans surveyed the American people who said the economy was their number one concern. And now they're saying they're they might they might not raise the debt ceiling. They were saying the economy was their number one concern. And now that they've got the House, they want to burn the economy down. Here's the one thing you got to know, and I will prove it to you by the time I'm done talking and start taking calls. Every Republican media figure, every Republican politician at the state, local and federal level, every Republican loved one and coworker who's supporting shutting down the government, who's supporting not paying our debts, who doesn't want to raise the debt ceiling is a grotesque hypocrite. And doggone it, they deserve to know. Right. It, it, listen, back in the campaign. Remember way back in November, in the ancient times, October, November, what was it? Inflation, inflation, inflation. But now inflation's still going down. They need new talking points. <laughs> the real reason they want to hold the debt limit hostage is not because they want to destroy the economy. They want to force the Democratic Party, the Biden administration, the White House, and the Senate to agree to spending cuts. A certain kind of spending cut. You know, they're connecting the debt limit increase to spending cuts. This is what they do. They've done this for a dozen years now. Since 2011, they see the potential for a 
default on our debt obligations and the catastrophe and devastation and hurt that would cause as leverage to force Joe Biden's hand to cut certain kinds of spending. Now, of course, the only way, the only way to begin fixing our debt would be to have a super tax on the super rich. I mean, good God, we, we are so depleted of revenue. Tax the wealthy at Eisenhower levels and watch it happen. I mean, the debt's as bad now as it was after World War II. So tax the super wealthy, but they can't do that. Then, okay, cut the military budget. I mean, you want to get serious about cutting spending, wasteful spending, spending we don't need? Cut the military budget. Our military is as big as Russia and China and Canada and Germany and Japan and Brazil and the UK combined. Cut it. They won't do that either. No, they want to cut entitlements. And they call them entitlements so you don't call them something stupid like earned benefits. In my lifetime, probably in yours, the Republican Party has a long history of screaming about the debt, but only when Democrats are in power. When Republicans are in power, they don't scream about the debt. When Republicans are in power, they spend money like Courtney Love with a new Nirvana royalty check in Amsterdam. In the last 230 years, this country, this glorious experiment has acquired a good bit of debt. Um, did you know that Donald Trump added 25% of all of our national debt in just four years? 7.8 trillion. The national debt rose by 36% to 27 trillion under Donald Trump. Again, 27 trillion. One quarter of that came from the four years Donald Trump was in office. They're all liars. They're all hypocrites. We got to love them, but we got to call them out on this. Republican lawmakers raised the debt limit three times during Trump's four-year administration, and they never once demanded any kind of spending cuts or any other concessions. Republican presidents' deficits are 54% bigger than Democrats. And GDP growth, by the way, has been 75% bigger under Democratic presidents. It is during Republican presidencies that the deficit always goes up. This is the pattern in my life. Republicans wreck the place. Democrats come in and save it. Republicans criticize. The arsonists criticize the fire department for missing a few spots. And then we repeat. When Jimmy Carter left office in 1981, he had a deficit of $78.9 billion um, when Reagan took over. When Reagan left office, it had gone from $78.9 billion to $152 billion. And by the way, when Reagan was president, guess how many times they raised the debt ceiling? 18. Raised it 18 times for Ronald Reagan. George H.W. Bush inherited uh, that $152 billion deficit. When he left office, it had gone up to $255 billion. You dig me here? When Jimmy Carter left, it was under $80 billion. By the time Bush Sr. left in 93, 255. And it came down to Bill Clinton cleaning up this mess. And man, I will criticize Bill Clinton's policies all day long, but I will always say he showed us what a real conservative does because he cleaned up the mess. By the time Bill Clinton left office, the federal budget was no longer having a, a, a debt, a deficit of $255 billion. After Bill Clinton's eight years, we had a $236 billion surplus. And you remember what happened to that, right? <laughs> they put it in Social Security and made everyone safe in a lockbox. No. President George W. Bush eliminated the surplus with his income tax cuts and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Again, think about this. Having two wars off the books while cutting taxes for the rich. That alone should have been enough for Democrats to make sure Republicans never got elected nationally again. So when Bill Clinton left office, we had a surplus of $236 billion. But after Bush... With the two wars that the Republicans attacked you if you didn't support after Bush, 
It had gone from a $236 billion surplus to a $1.41 trillion deficit. And when Bush was president, the Republican Party raised the debt ceiling seven times. And they never once demanded spending cuts. That was freedom debt. So Barack Obama comes in office in 2009, and he actually cut Bush's deficit in half to $584.6 billion. This is how it's been. Numbers don't lie. Democrats are more fiscally responsible. The economy always does better under Democrats. You know, Dick Cheney said Reagan proved deficits don't matter. Well, they don't when a Republican's president. And so Obama leaves office and you know who comes in. And from 2017 through uh, the end of his term, Trump signed into law $4.6 trillion of new debt for his tax cut, which was way beyond what we'd been expected to borrow. Again, about half of the $4.7 trillion in new debt was before COVID hit. When it was all done, when Trump finally left office, he had added $8 trillion to the deficit. $8 trillion to the deficit. Obama had cut it in half, and Trump added $8 trillion. This should be the only conversation we have to have in this country about economics. $8 trillion, that's twice as much as what Americans owe on student loans, car loans, credit cards combined. That's according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. It's about $23,000 in new federal debt for every person in the country. The growth in the deficit every year under Trump was the third biggest increase in our country's history relative to the size of the economy of any presidential administration. You know who had bigger deficit growths than Trump? Only two presidents. You know who they were? George W. Bush and Abraham Lincoln. George W. Bush had bigger deficits because he had two wars off the books while cutting taxes for rich people. Abraham Lincoln had to pay for a civil war. Donald Trump wasn't launching two foreign wars. He didn't have to pay for a civil war. He was just terrible with money and gave it all away to rich people like him. The reduction of the corporate tax rate to 21% from 35%, that took a big bite out of the money your government takes in. The CBO estimated in 2018 that tax cut would increase deficits by about $1.9 trillion over 11 years. And by early 2019, the national debt had climbed to $22 trillion. By the end of 2019, it was over $23 trillion. And then coronavirus and made the financial situation so much worse. By the end of 2020, after Trump had left office, I mean, after he had lost, he hadn't left office yet, the national debt had gone up to $27.75 trillion. And that's Trump's tax cut in 2017 that all these Republicans, including Ron DeSantis and Paul Ryan, stood behind him and cheered. And of course, there was no restraint on any spending. The deficit soared, the debt soared. And when this once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic happened... We had to throw more than $3 trillion into it. The national debt rose by 36% to $27 trillion under Trump. And the GOP raised the debt limit three times. Okay, that's Trump, the only president in the last nine decades to lose more jobs than he created. So where are we now? Well, Joe Biden's not a Republican. And so, hell no, they're not going to raise the debt limit for this irresponsible spending Democrat. I wish all Democrats would fight back as hard as Senator Sanders, he tweeted, Republicans exploded on debt when they gave huge tax breaks to the rich. Now they're refusing to raise the debt limit and pay the bill, risking a global economic catastrophe unless they can gut Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. Not going to happen. I just want to see Bernie Sanders just grab Kevin McCarthy by the lapel and say, does Bernie Sanders need to smack a bitch? So the Republican Party is going to spend the next couple of weeks and months talking very generally about the evils of deficit spending. 
because they're going to try to get the people who drool on the clicker watching Tucker all angry and say, yeah, yeah, we got to shut down the government. We got, don't raise the debt ceiling. Don't we? And the reason they have to do that is to justify what they're going to do. You might have seen Republican House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer on with Tapper the other day on CNN, and he was threatening to crash the economy over the debt ceiling. And, you know, I'll praise Jake Tapper when, when he when he's on it. But he, he never once asked him specifically, what spending cuts do you want in exchange for agreeing to have America pay its bills? And he should have asked. And every journalist has to ask, because what they want is cuts to Social Security. What they want is cuts to Medicaid and leave the Pentagon budget intact. And they have to be forced to say it out loud. And this is why they're not saying what the cuts would be. Any politician you hear talk about entitlement reform is a liar. They won't call it earned benefits. Or how about this? Uh, reforms to mandatory spending programs. They're talking about cutting your Social Security, your Medicare, your Medicaid. The House Republicans are vowing not to raise the debt limit without budget agreement or commensurate fiscal reforms. Fiscal reforms. Always with Republicans speak, fiscal reform means have some more cat food, Nana. That's what they do. They pretend to care about the debt and deficits. And at the same time, they, they at the same time, they spend like a drunken sailor. And these are the same Republicans who are trying to cripple the IRS, which is responsible for tax revenue. They have hypocrisy on top of their hypocrisy. Friends, debt is not spending. I'll say it again. Debt is not spending. And they don't mean anything they say. You know, they agreed to raise the debt ceiling again. 18 times under Reagan, seven times under Bush, three times under Trump. Trump had one term. He got three debt ceiling raises and they were right to do it. That's why they're hypocrites now. They raise the debt ceiling every year under Trump while he added seven trillion to the national debt. He never paid a dime to pay that debt down. We have to have the right talking points. We have to be able to say to our right wing loved ones or coworkers or roommates, whatever you got, raising the debt limit doesn't increase the debt. You're the guys who claim to be fiscally responsible. This allows us to pay for what we already spent. You ordered the pizza. You ate the pizza. Now you pay for the pizza. But here's why it's even more interesting, and I'll leave you with this thought. Um, <laughs> the Republicans have stepped in it. You know, America may be hurt, but I can guarantee you, no matter how much this hurts America, it'll hurt the Republicans a lot more. Probably because they'll never actually pull the trigger and do it. You know they're cowards. McCarthy's a coward. Just as Trump and Ron DeSantis are cowards. Because they know something. What they know is that outside of a few mouth breathers on Fox and OAN, they know no one wants this to happen. No one in the Republican establishment wants a debt default. They want to talk big. They want to get more support so they can try to inch closer to turning your Social Security into a scratch off game. OK, Joe Biden's administration is not going to negotiate with hostage takers. <laughs> They're not going to do it. These Republicans are going to scream. They're going to be all over your TV. Your mainstream media is going to cover it because, hey, it's it's fuckery. It's toxic. Let's show it. And the White House is going to blow them off because, again, the Republicans are embarking on a losing proposition. They will only get support from the people who already love them. The majority of Americans don't want to hear about cutting Social Security or Medicare. It's not popular. The Republicans in the House have painted themselves into a corner on this. What are they going to do? Hmm? I mean, if they do force a default on our debt, they're the ones going to pay the price. This is the empire of schmuckery that Kevin McCarthy is king of. Guys, the congressmen who are owned by these corporations, well, those corporations are telling the congressmen to ignore the MAGAs, ignore the Tea Parties, raise the debt ceiling. You think Wall Street wants this to happen? No.
<laughs> no, their donors don't want this. Sane people don't want this. They're just doing this, you know why, to rile up your uncle racist and your aunt dead inside. Now, think about this, you know, the question is, could there be five Republicans who will just join all of the House Democrats and just sign a discharge petition and vote to raise the debt limit? It could happen. And it would allow the Nazi clot caucus to go ahead and say they held firm, blah, blah, blah. But this is the Republican Party. Watch them on the news and judge your newscasters by how tough they ask these questions, because they're coming out saying we can't go raising the debt ceiling. And they're still the party that raised the debt ceiling 18 times under Reagan, seven times under Bush, three times under Trump. The Republican Party, they want to bankrupt the government, but they still want to get paid. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's always a good night when Bob Seska joins us and we have this passionate political talk uh, during the break about Star Wars stuff. And Bob has thoughts about the new the new trailer for the Mandalorian season three that relates to the show Book of Boba Fett. By the way, season two Book of Boba Fett is rumored to be greenlit uh, and already being in production. I have thoughts on that, too. But this is how wow. we drive women away. Yeah, it's, it's, this is what we call girl <laughs> repellent here on the show. Hey, guys, we're at 866-997-4748. Uh, we are saluting tonight the great state of Florida, where you can take AP courses in art history, Japanese language and culture, German language and culture, Italian language and culture, Spanish language and culture. But as of today, African-American studies are illegal. Yeah, we'll get to that shortly. Right now, let's go to the smartest player in the game. Bob Seska is the host of The Bob Seska Show, one of the best political and music podcasts your ears can ever enjoy. Maybe you fell in love with Bob for his appearances on Stephanie Miller or his great columns in Salon. We are very lucky to welcome him back. Mr. Seska, good to see you. Hi, John. Yeah, I was just saying uh, during the break that those last two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett, irrespective of how you may feel about the rest of the show and the narrative arc of Boba Fett with the sand people and so on. Those last two episodes were hands down phenomenal. I, I mean, between the incredible technology that it required to, to bring back Luke Skywalker and very looking true. completely as if he's right looking there great. with the Grogu puppet and all of that. Very moving. Yeah. Good. And then Boba Fett riding a rancor into Boba Fett riding Mos a rancor <laughs> and Boba Fett having a showdown with Cad Bane, uh, a yeah. live action Cad Bane. And, and now we're really going to lose the girls on this one. Uh, Cad Bane being a character from the Clone Wars cartoon show. Our anyway. wives will appreciate it, though. No, honestly, the, Cad, <laughs> Our the, 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 li like, keep the live action yeah. Cad Bane was like the scariest villain in Star Wars in, in, in generations. Scariest villain in Star Wars and Darth Maul. I hope he comes back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like the book of Boba Fett overall. 
I thought the Tuscan Raiders thing was actually really beautiful and should have been a deeper mm-hmm. part of the of the series. Um, I agree. And I also thought, you know, Tamora Morrison maybe could have dirtied up his dentures a little bit, maybe not have the cleanest <laughs> teeth in the desert. But um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, for me, it lost a lot of weight when it deviated from Boba Fett to do two hours worth of content about the Mandalorian and they dropped the lead character of their own. There's one episode where Boba Fett only has one line in his whole show. And respectfully, Bob, the mods... The mods with some Robert Rodriguez bullshit has to go. The the, the, the <laughs> attractive young model God. kids that look like the cast of Rent riding their speeder bikes around, those guys have to go. But the Wookiee assassin <laughs> and all that was great. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I think we've driven yeah, that one away. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I was okay with the return, the reunification of Grogu and Dinjar, and I was fine with that. I didn't think that it necessarily <laughs> had to match the emotional impact of that last scene from the end of season two of The Mandalorian. Which right. I have, I don't know if you can see it, but I, I, I've got it memorialized on my shelf here with Hot Toys action figures. That last shot of Luke Skywalker <laughs> holding Grogu with R2 on that elevator, and now I'm losing all credibility. But yeah, I don't Bob, care. I don't know, how to, I don't know yes. how to tell you this, Bob, but we're on radio, so no one can see it. You have lost all credibility. But let's, <laughs> well, you let's go deeper. Just, let's go deeper yeah. in the hole, because I actually felt that the, the series The Mandalorian should have ended with the end of season two. It was maybe the best season finale for a series I've ever watched for a season. And I thought yeah. that, that it's, it was the most, I, I can't imagine how you go on building a show after an ending as emotional and beautiful. Listen, seriously, folks, even if you don't believe, I, I've always said the Mandalorian is a Star Wars thing that Woody Allen could watch. You like anyone can watch it. My mother-in-law <laughs> could watch this thing. Yeah, what did you yeah. think of the new trailer? Then we'll talk about how, you know, we're going to default on our debts. But before we get there, what, before we get to economic collapse and we're all going to be cannibals in six months, <laughs> what did you think of the Mandalorian season three trailer, Bob? It was phenomenal. I mean, this this is just this is hands down my favorite show in the world right now. And just going back to that last episode of season two. Yeah, admittedly, Favreau and Filoni wrote themselves directly into a corner. Beautiful. I mean, there was yeah. I would yeah. not want to be in their place trying to punch their way out of that paper bag because there's I mean, no finish. There's the no satisfying way to resolve that. Yeah, he let. Yeah. I mean, he let his child go to live with Luke Skywalker and be trained. It was hard. Right, and R two, and they were they came yes. on an X wing for God's sake. It was sake. everything. It was great. I mean, he let the he let the child touch his face. It was beautiful scene. Like like I don't know how yes. they're gonna reboot, relaunch the entire show now. And uh, and again, if you didn't watch that Boba Fett thing, people have no idea they completely undid the greatest finale ever. <laughs> Oh, God, no. No, I completely disagree with you. I, you're a very, very it. smart man, and you love Star Wars as much as no, I no, do. No, I'm saying literally they undid but, the finale. They undid it. I mean, it's this oh, tearful well, yeah, farewell when he let his child be. go. But now when the season begins, oh, the kid's back. Yeah, well, I, I think that was going to have to happen. Otherwise, Grogu would have been written out of the series. They would have had to reunify somehow. No, I'm saying they could Otherwise, have ended the series. They could have ended the series. Like, I, I guess they never had a plan to actually. That, well, that's look, true. I don't care what they do. This is just, you know, nerd talk. That's all this is. I'm very But it's the biggest. The series, they could never end it because the series was the biggest thing that happened to Star Wars since Empire Strikes Back. I it's mean, the best absolutely. Star Wars, the best Star Wars since Empire Strikes Back, hands down. Yes, yes. And strangely enough, in the Star Wars universe of fandom, the Mandalorian actually unites all Star Wars fans. I don't know any Star Wars fans are like, ah, fuck the Mandalorian. I can't deal with that. It's true. Most Star Wars fans, unless their souls are dead, 
love the Mandalorian. And then that there are there are a lot of Star Wars fans whose souls are dead and they have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But to me, it's like any other religion, and I do think Star Wars is a religion for for you know a, a certain generation. Um, mm-hmm. And like most religions, Hello. you know, you have your fundamentalists who don't actually care what Jesus or the Jedi talk. They just think that you know their bigotry is somehow reflected in the original text. We're getting really heady on this one, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it was the most popular, and I'll, I'll go one step further. For for every year, they always do these polls of the most popular Star Wars characters. For the first time in 40 years, Darth Vader was not the most popular Star Wars character because of little, little Grogu. Yeah, Baby Yoda, that's absolutely child. right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, Grogu is arguably as popular for Disney right now as Mickey Mouse himself. And I would so say even more. I would regard, say more. I would say more. Yeah, more. Mickey appeals that's to a, possible. Yeah, as the father of a child, Mickey appeals to a very young demographic. Mickey's great, but doesn't do much. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a little cartoon show. Uh, you know, Grogu <laughs> is. I mean, Grogu is saving a five billion dollar investment they made into Star Wars, uh, and yeah. and this is the most popular thing they've done. And you're right; it is universally loved. I recommend this show to everyone. You don't need to even like Star Wars. You can literally begin mm-hmm. with the Mandalorian episode one. You don't need to know anything and you can follow a really really engaging story yeah that's right well uh, ultimately they had to be reunited and that leads us into season three which looks like it's going to continue to expand the story arc for Din Djarin and his role going from this you know sort of lone rogue sort of spaghetti western style bounty hunter To the Mm -hmm. point where now he's got the dark saber and he may be instrumental. In fact, I think Grogu even more instrumental in reuniting Mandalore, bringing back (laughs) the glory days of the Mandalorians and taking that role of Tar Vizsla, which was the ancient Jedi slash Mandalorian that united all the Mandalorians. Oh, my God. I said enough. You have outgeeked me. You just (laughs) Mitch from Kent stated the fuck out of me with that last line there. I don't need. Wow. I'm impressed. You don't even know who Mitch is. That's me being a nerd. But yes. So what you're saying is. Oh, no. Now this one's joining in. All right. We we had so much to talk about the death ceiling here with these with these man. The Mandalorian is the economy. The Mandalorian uh, is the economy. Bo- <laughs> Book of Boba Fett is the debt ceiling, and Grogu is the entitlements that uh, the McCarthy wants to uh, cut. But what yes. Bob's saying is you don't have to. It you all have makes to. sense. You don't it have to be- cut. Oh, God, you're brilliant, Chris. Hey, I, I, th- I thought the entitlements were gone. No, there they are. That little green thing back in his arms. You're exactly right. You you are the Yasha <laughs> Heifetz right. of Star Wars metaphors. Um, l- one last question then, Bob, I think. Uh, hmm. who Who rescued Grogu? In this trailer, there's one shot, lasts for about an eighth of a second, of a bunch of Jedis swinging their lightsabers around. You know that's a flashback to Order 66. Wow, now we're really losing the girls even more. Um, Who saved, who was it, you think, that that got Grogu out of there? Because I know who it was. Do you have a theory on this one? This is Oh, you know who it was? You you have inside information? No, I'm certain I know who it was. I'm I'm just very smug about my guess. What about you? (laughs) Okay, I, I have a theory that it was R2. R2-D2, that's it. That's it. That's it. It makes the most sense. He was there. Uh, he, you know, he could have done it and uh, it would be in character and the, yeah. they knew each other. They knew each other in the Mandalorian season two finale. 
Plus that little gear shift knob that Grogu was obsessed with on the Razor Crest. If you you. look at it closely, it's silver and blue, just like R2's head. And I think he was obsessed with that thing because it reminded him of R2. He wanted his own little makeshift R2 action figure. That's what Grogu was uh, kind of insinuating by being into that gear shift so much. And so that's that's the basis for my R2 theory. You know, I just want to point out that we we do have officials in the Biden White House who listen to this show. And I I just want to say they've they've they're all weeping now. I just want to point that out. They're all this is why I haven't been invited to the White House. I just figured it out. (laughs) Kidding me? They love this. We haven't mentioned documents in like 10 minutes. Chris, it's actually (laughs) true. Oh, my God. You're so right. Well, Chris, have you seen the Mandalorian season three trailer? Because I made my whole Uh, family watch it on the big TV. I mean, I I saw it. I haven't zapruded it like you guys. But yeah, (laughs) I feel like we are just spinning off our own nerd podcast right now in the middle of our podcast. Sort of like Book of Boba Fett. We're just sort of like doing we're going off on a tangent that takes over the room right now. Um, (laughs) Did you like it? And and you know what? And and then Chris's debt ceiling metaphor is sort of like going to Din Djarin and Luke Skywalker and Grogu in the middle of Book of Boba Fett. It was just enough of a sideline. (laughs) <laughs> to remind us where we're supposed to be. That's great. Yes, yeah, right. yeah, Chris it, actually yeah. mentioning what this show is supposed to be about was like what we call a callback. I, I like yes. it very much. Yeah, yeah. Bingo. Remember when this was uh, a politics show? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to spend most of the night tonight <laughs> the just looking at, at this trailer over and over again. I will say, it though. It is a good trailer. Uh, yes. The Mod Biker Gang. The Mod um, Biker Gang. Back me up on that, Chris. Come on. While I'm not a fan, The girl was cute. The feel... redhead was super cute. But the Mod Biker yeah. Gang, they were like the cast of Rent on Tatooine. It was all it did, wrong. It did feel like the most true George Lucas reference out of the entire new cast. No, it yes. felt like Robert Rodriguez reference. It felt like, who are these pretty people American that graffiti. contribute nothing to the... No, it, American Graffiti. No, I disagree. American Graffiti, those characters had character. The, the mods were just really good-looking, well-dressed people who hung around. I mean, they, they, they were silly. They didn't do anything for the overall narrative. None of them had an arc, a character. The, 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 the kids in, in, I mean, Ron Howard and, 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 and Richard Dreyfuss, that was a, those were great characters in American I Graffiti. I can't wait. I can't wait for the season three finale of The Mandalorian where they tell you that the mods are the ones who rescued Grogu. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to, okay. You know. Now I'm on board with a new theory. That's the theory that I'm gonna be talking. I'm gonna go tweet about that as soon as we're done talking. It's the let's mods. be honest. I, I think I think we all know who it was that rescued Grogu, and um, we haven't given George Santos enough credit. See, there's my segue. I did it. Uh, George Santos yeah, is the one who, right. who saved Grogu from Order 66, and uh, back then he was known as uh, what David Dennison. What was his name? No, what's his other one? Anthony Devolder. Yeah, <laughs> we were just talking before, yeah. Bob, about how really it comes down to all of us that you 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 have to, in, in a world of Anthony Devolders, be a George Santos. Um, yeah, we, we yeah. keep hearing I, you know what? Aliases. Every time I go to say every time I go to say Anthony Devolder, I want to say Art Vandalay. And it's, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in there, Art Vandalay was one of his aliases. But I just I yeah, wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, I mean, here's the deal. We have these two New Jersey veterans saying that he set up a GoFundMe for one of their sick dogs. He raised three grand. And then he kept the money. Everyone heard that story. Then the other story today is that he's always said his mother was inside the World Trade Center on 9-11 and that she didn't die that day. But uh, she eventually died 16 years later from what she inhaled that day. Now, immigration records have shown she wasn't even in the country. And these two revelations, Mm -hmm. Mr. Seska, come one day after George Santos was given two congressional committee assignments. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, and the thing that I can't get beyond. See, I can so, sort of understand the myriad lies, but st- stealing $3,000 
from a veteran and his sick service dog and then just ghosting the veteran as he as George Santos or wherever the hell his name is runs off with that money that is <laughs> that is unfor- unforgivable in fact i saw who was a Trump Walsh. did it Trump did Joe it. Walsh today was talking about how that should be the thing that gets him kicked out of Congress. The fact that he stole money from a veteran and then the veteran service dog died as a consequence of not having that money for the vet bills. So and and you know what? Stealing from I, vets I, I, and killing. I, Trump only stole from vets. You're right, because I'm thinking Trump University. Yeah. He stole from vets and walked away clean. But you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, Trump only stole from vets. This guy stole from vets and killed a puppy. I mean, that should be enough. Yeah. Democrats should be enough. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going to happen? Uh, Bob? I mean, Bob, I think the Democrats, I mean, it, I think it's a gift. I think every day the Democrats job is to pick up uh, George Santos by the ankles and beat the Republican Party with him like a club. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the next six months as far as I'm concerned. I don't think he's going anywhere unless he's he done. ends up in prison somewhere or in jail and can't vote. And that's the thing. <laughs> I, I think it's either that or it's he loses his reelection campaign in 2024 or he just well, decides that's, not to that's, run again in that, 2024. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that goes without saying he'll be primary does not even have the nomination. But I, I think there's yeah. also a third up, a third chance that he just leaves one day and resigns and we're never told why someone gets to him, tells him how it really is. And he just says he's going to spend more time with his family and because the liberal media, blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, in the meantime, I say, you know, Democrats need to use George Santos, not as a thing to scream about, but use him the way they should be using Trump to bludgeon the party mm-hmm. with George yeah, Santos yeah. Uh, can't just hurt, you know, uh, the, the aspirations of Kevin McCarthy. George Santos should be used to hurt the aspirations of Ron DeSantis. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, look, I feel like I'd be all for the idea of George Santos resigning right now because that seat would immediately switch to being a Democrat in whatever That's special true. election would occur. And that puts the Democrats That's- one more vote closer to being able to raise the debt ceiling, which is the, the thing right. that is keeping me up at night, quite honestly, right now. And I mean, that is exactly as... why it won't happen. And and, and yeah, by the way, yeah. I just opened with a big rant about it. You know, I think ultimately at the last minute, the GOP, you know, they're just doing this. They're not talking about what spending cuts they want. They're never yeah. going to say raise taxes on the wealthy, which they would have to do if they wanted to attack the deficit. They're never going to say cut the Pentagon budget, what they'd have to do. They don't care about the deficit. They don't care about the debt. We know this because they raised the debt limit. How many times under Reagan? 18. Under Bush? Yep. 7. Under Trump? 3. I, I think what's going to happen is they're going to try to make a lot of speeches. And ultimately, they're going to know that most Americans don't want this. And more importantly, uh, McCarthy's going to know that the donors don't want this and Wall Street doesn't want this. And at the end, I think you'll see a handful of Republicans cross over to vote with Democrats to raise the debt ceiling and the douchebags will claim they stood firm in fundraising emails. Yeah. And that's what will be the best case scenario, because the worst case scenario, quite honestly, and this is not too far outside the realm of possibility. In fact, I find this to be a very distinct possibility is that the Republicans will just allow the debt ceiling to uh, they'll allow us to default on our debt, basically. So what we're talking about here is Janet Yellen told uh, Kevin McCarthy that the debt ceiling will be reached tomorrow, tomorrow, Thursday. Yeah, the 19th. And then she'll be employing emergency measures on through, I think, June, at which time those emergency measures will likely expire. And that's we're going to be that's when we're going to be shit out of luck. And so my hunch is the Republicans will allow that to happen. 
And whatever economic catastrophe occurs as a consequence of that, which we're talking about the devaluing of the dollar, we're talking about stock market crash, we're talking about a recession slash depression, we're, yes. we're talking about the, the loss of the dollar as being the standard uh, in terms of uh, 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 money uh, worldwide. And so the Republicans will simply blame the Democrats for the collapsed economy, which will then undermine Joe Biden's reelection campaign, undermine the chances of Democrats, uh, you know, expanding majorities in, in Congress. And so that's the ultimate goal. This is what we saw from Mitch McConnell during the early days of the Barack Obama administration. The goal of the Republican Party then, as it is now, is to make whatever Democrats in office a one term uh, president in this case. And so that's going to be the goal of this entire thing. And that's the thing. That's what concerns me the most. They and, and we've moved so far beyond the Mitch McConnell style politics of 2009, 2010. We're now in this new paradigm where we've got this rodeo clown caucus that will bring its own party to its knees, bring Kevin right. McCarthy to his knees with demand after demand after demand. And whatever demands that Kevin McCarthy fulfills and makes promises about, they're still going to lump, lump on more demands. Joe Biden could pledge tomorrow, which he'll never do, but he'll he could pledge tomorrow to completely eliminate Social Security as a program. And the Republican reply would be not good enough. We want yeah. Medicare now. Zero out yeah. Medicare. Zero out Medicaid. Zero out Jack Smith's office. Zero out the IRS, the EPA, and the FBI, for that matter. <laughs> and yep. one demand after another. And uh, obviously, Joe Biden is not going to satisfy any of those demands. But and yep. that's what that's where we reach this ultimate but, but i think we're at this place because and i know we got to hit a break but we're at this place because um the republicans know that they can say whatever they want and their low information base you know yeah. your uncle racist and Aunt dead inside drooling on the clicker watching tucker don't know <laughs> how many times the debt ceiling was raised they don't know there's this hypocrisy they don't know how what donald trump did was illegal on several levels and what joe biden did wasn't illegal on any level they don't know these things so again mm -hmm. it's performative governance they're just going to come here and scream for the cameras and the media is going to be their accomplices and getting everybody freaked out about economic apocalypse and in the end that's the chaos model donald trump yeah, is yeah. arguably still running things it's all chaos for ratings or hype. And we have to hope that Joe Biden and the Democrats can be the cooler heads and be the adults in the room and actually govern this thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope you're right. I, I hope the Republicans are merely bluffing and they will back down at the last second. I, I And that's the way it's always been. Got no reason to doubt that it'll be necessarily different this time. However, we've, as I said, we got a new paradigm of Republicans in office right now. Amen. Bob Seska, how do our listeners follow you and keep up with your work? Oh, you can find my podcast uh, everywhere you get your podcast, The Bob Seska Show, also at patreon.com slash Bob Seska Show. What so about The Bad go. Batch? Do Thank you watch you. The Bad Batch? I live with a 10-year-old. We're a Bad Batch house. I, I watched the first season. I haven't started the second season yet, though I, I intend to probably this it's weekend. So, Animation's yeah. lovely. Wanda's on it. Uh, uh, very lovely. And you're an Andor oh, guy, yeah. right? Because Andor, Andor is just oh, I'm God, blown yeah. away by how yeah. great Andor is. Just incredible. Oh, okay, yeah. Absolutely. There we go. We, we, we brought, had a callback for the geek moment. Bob Seska, <laughs> you're a prince. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're the chosen one. Quick break. When we come back, more of your calls at 866-997-4748. 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. It's good to be with you and a, uh, a happy dry January to all who celebrate. You know, there was research published last fall that showed between 2015 and 2019, excessive drinking in this country resulted in about 140,000 American deaths per year. That's just, just here. About 40% of those deaths, of course, had acute causes like, you know, car crashes, poisonings, homicides. But the majority of those deaths were caused by chronic conditions that can be attributed to alcohol, like cancer, like heart disease, like liver disease. And when you hear, you know, doctors and experts on TV talking about the risky health consequences that are linked to excessive alcohol use, people think, okay, well, that's people who are alcoholics. That's that's people who have a problem and they got to get it under control. But more and more, we're hearing the health risks of drinking can come from moderate consumption as well. And recent research makes it clear any amount of drinking can be detrimental. Now, taking a short break from alcohol will allow you to reap a lot of physical benefits and mental benefits and a growing number of Americans, as much as one fifth of the population, according to one poll, participate in this annual Dry January campaign, which began in the UK about a decade ago. And that brings us to our guest. Uh, Daniel Stewart Holmes is an entrepreneur, He's an aerospace and defense executive. He's founded a couple of companies, a commercial real estate investment firm and Helen Systems, a tech company focused on national security to create ground-based backup for the GPS systems. But he's also the author of a really fascinating book called Memoirs of an Ordinary Guy, The Everyday Experiences That Changed My Life. And the first couple chapters walk the reader through a very dark period of alcohol abuse in his own life. And um, it's, well, I want to quote him, but he can probably say it much better himself. It's a beautiful, beautiful memoir. But he's also someone who has composed eight tips to maintaining a sober life in honor of Dry January. And when I read his list, I'm like, we have to book him. It's a great pleasure uh, to welcome Daniel Ohms to the show. Hello, sir. No, hey, John, thank you for having me on. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're now we were talking in the break. You've been sober for 17 years. You've 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 had some dry Januaries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, 16 uh, to be uh, to be pretty specific about it. Uh, I quit drinking uh, actually on the 21st of January in 2006. Uh, so coming up on uh, year 17 here in a couple of days. You, you've talked about how when you were in your drinking period and you, in, in the first couple chapters of your book, you, you go through a very dark, dark period of your life. And I know you, you were never suicidal, but you've said you nearly drank yourself to death. Yeah, I mean, it, at the end there, you know, I, I had gone to the emergency room uh, three times in my hometown, 
actually fourth, uh, including a, a drug and alcohol uh, rehab facility I spent a couple of days at. Um, but, you know, you know, I watched people drink when I was in college and I didn't drink too differently than most people. Uh, you know, a lot of us binge drank. We um, we drank to excess. We drank to get drunk. There was no, no gentlemanly drinking about what we did. Um, but that started kind of pouring over into my my adult life. Uh, and I, I didn't have an off switch. I, I, I knew that I didn't drink the same way as other people. Um, I didn't crave it. I didn't really, you know, it wasn't something that I really enjoyed doing actually. I get it. Uh, but for me, there was no off switch when I got started, you know, that, that was it. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. kind of game over. I, I come from a, a long line of addiction and I'm someone who is very prone to addiction. And so I have always in my life um, tried to, to keep a safe distance with alcohol. I, I've, yeah. I've had periods where I did too much, but generally because of the family, the families I grew up in and because of a lot of the people I was around when I was a child, I was around a lot of adults who did a lot of drinking. Um, it, it's something that uh, I've always had a very healthy caution towards. I'm very curious in your case, was there one moment that you realized your life had to change or was it a gradual period of wrestling with coming to terms with it? No, sure. I mean, certainly going to the emergency room that many times, having that many like critical moments uh, was certainly a wake up call for me. But there was like one particular uh, uh, event in my life. And, you know, I, I heard your listeners talking earlier about Star Wars and I'll, I'll, yes. I'll, I'll keep on that theme. Okay. I went to the, the theme of tonight's show is Star Wars. Please you know, go ahead. Um, so I went to a local driving range and, uh, you know, it was right in the middle of summer. Uh, I was hitting balls. I was terribly hungover. It was 95 degrees. I was just sweating bullets. Uh, and the driving range was someplace I really liked going. I, I really liked playing golf. It was a very familiar place, but I started getting this odd sense of disorientation. Like, you know, the feeling you get when you, you get lost, right. In a place you don't know where you are, yes. except I was lost in a place I'd been hundreds of times. And, um, and I sort of, every swing that I took was just harder than the one before it, uh, less satisfying. And, you know, that scene from star Wars, a new hope when, you know, Luke Skywalker is somewhat frustrated. He doesn't really understand his place. And he looks across the desert at that dueling setting sons of Tatooine and that force theme by John Williams, uh, you know, plays. And it's that, it's that quintessential moment in that movie for him. Uh, that he takes the next step in his life. And I, I had a similar type of a experience where I, I, I hung my head in surrender on the mat there at the driving range, knowing that my life was not heading in the right direction. Yeah. And, and I had a very odd sense that I had to leave. So I handed my bucket of balls to the gentleman next to me and I went off to the grocery store. Well, that actually led me down a path uh, that sort of saved my life at the end of, you know, at the end of the day. Um, yeah. it, it led to an absolute downward spiral for a period of time, but it led me back, uh, in a direction that I needed to go. And that's a, that's a much longer story, but it was that event right. that I said, I was not the man I wanted to be. Can I ask if you, if you did a specific program or if you are a friend of the rooms or, uh, or, or how you yeah. went about it? Yeah, I, I'm a friend of Bill's, uh, you know, 12 step right program. I went through that. Uh, the day that I quit drinking, I went to uh, 110 uh, 12 step meetings in the first 90 days. Um, Amazing. And, 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 and just you, you have to do the work. You have to go to the rooms and see. I was lucky. 
I mean, I entered those rooms of my life relatively intact relative to some people and listening to the stories and the triumphs and the trials. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing. And I come from a similar uh, background as you, John, with with folks that didn't do so well. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, when I, when I first moved to California, I got heavily into Al-Anon and it made me understand my entire childhood and all yeah. the relationships I'd been in and the friendships and the father figures I'd had and everything. So, I mean, I have so much respect for anyone in your position who, who does it. I, I know that you've said that for you, it, in, at the minimum, it was a useful distraction to go to 110 12-step meetings in the first 90 days. Um, but uh, it, it seems like that can be enough sometimes, right? I mean, just whatever it takes to get into the room and just go one day at a time. Yeah, I mean, rule number one is don't drink. Uh, you know, that's a choice. That's not something anybody's forcing you to do. Uh, and there, there's an accountability of sorts that that exists in those rooms, uh, a safety. It, it, there's no crosstalk. There's not people telling you that you're wrong or, you know. That's right. Uh, or you should be doing this or you should be doing that. It's just people sharing their experiences and loving one another uh, unconditionally, really. Right. Well, yeah. And, you know, your take on it is very learned and wise and comes from experience. And I, I've, I've, you know, read you say that how you acknowledge mental illness is a serious issue. Alcoholism is a real disease. But I'm putting it in my words, you know, some people have the disease of alcoholism and some people need to to just drink less. Right. I mean, it, it seems like it, it does come down to the individual choice and being able to make the choice. And you say sometimes it's all we can always choose how we look at it. Yeah, and, and I actually write a lot about this in my book, and um, and I think of a lot of our own happiness and a lot of our own satisfaction of life comes from a choice of how we look about look at what happens to us. It's not necessarily what happens to us; it's how we you know choose to reflect on that. And uh, I'm, I, I say that fully understanding that that choice is much more difficult for some people than it is for others. Um, but that choice is not really ever taken away. So let me let me ask your thoughts on on dry January. You know, Mm -hmm. I I mean, there are always absolutists who say you shouldn't have any alcohol. But, you know, one of the arguments I have with, say, my my vegan friends is, you know, you you scare people when you say never have meat again. If you say eat less meat, you'll save more cows. Um, And I'm curious, you know, when did you first hear of dry January and, and what do you think of it as a as a system, as a structure, as a means to maybe let people begin to have a better insight into their own behaviors? You know, I, I heard about dry January several years ago. I certainly wasn't something that was really uh, front and center when I was uh, dealing with my own issues. Of course. Uh, but, it, it, you know, I think different people call it different things. A lot of people will say, you know, I'll take a break for a while to see if I can. Um, I think that's what I've heard a lot. And, and I think in those moments or in those periods of time, it gives people an idea of what their lives are without it. Uh, and you can kind of draw a comparison. Um, you know, I remember sitting in, in my bed late at night after a you know night of drinking and, and just thinking to myself, why do I keep doing this? Like, I don't feel good. It's masking a, a lot of the beauty that that is around us every day. It's, it's blurring my experience of life. I mean, I, you know, I talked to you about golf. Like, I never drank on the golf course. As much as I ever drank, I never drank on the golf course because I didn't want anything to affect my ability to play. And my ability to enjoy the game and and now i've sort of just translated that into life in general right i, I did, you don't need alcohol to enhance anything i've written a book that uh, about 
you know, keeping your eyes open and, and, and witnessing the extraordinary beauty that's around us. You know, why yes. numb that? Why look at that through a different lens? Exactly. I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, when I read the list that you had composed, you know, your eight tips to maintaining a sober life, I was like, oh, my God, I have to talk to this man because you nailed it. And it was the sort of thing that, you know, I wanted to run copies off and give to all of my friends, except the ones in the rooms, you know, would appreciate it. And the ones who should be in the rooms would not appreciate it. But uh, I'd like to ask you about these these eight tips you do, because I, I think it's beautiful and it really is to me, a part of your success to have gone through what you went through and, and feared for your own life and well-being and now to be a successful businessman and a, a published author um, to keep on paying it forward, you know? So I, yeah. you, you begin your list, your eight tips. Number one, just don't drink. Now, I know that seems kind of obvious, but it's actually deeper than that, isn't it? It, it is. And uh, I, I think every person that's struggling with alcohol and, and, and you see down in, in, in the last sentence there, ask the million dollar question um, that, you know, yeah, I don't drink and I'll drink for a period of time, but everyone, you know, most people, you know, the statistics are 95% of people, you know, start drinking again. Uh, I certainly did the first time I decided to quit um, because they asked the question, maybe I can control it this time. Mm -hmm. Maybe something is going to be different. Um, and, and everybody just falls back into the same pattern of behavior. Uh, and I, I believe that's a very dangerous mindset uh, and it's a dangerous question. We all know the answer to everybody who struggles with alcohol knows the answer to that question. So just yeah. don't drink. You like, just don't experiment. It's yeah. over. Right. That's it. That's the, I mean, it's the one day at a time, just, just for yeah. one day, just, just for today. Don't drink. Yep. yep. Number two is very moving to me. Um, because it's going to be challenging for some people who are struggling, but your, your number two tip is, um, tell the world that you are struggling with alcohol. Yeah. I mean, everybody struggles with something. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, there's no shame in admitting those those fears and those deepest secrets that we have. Uh, if you tell the world, the world will keep you accountable. The world will watch you. They'll continue to admire what you're doing. They will fill your life, life with love. Or most people will. And, and that was the same for my writing. I, I told the world. I said, I'm going to write a book. So when then the world asked me, are you drinking? How's that book coming? Um, it's important to have a good answer to that. I mean, you, you made me realize, you know, if you are not telling the world because you have too much shame and embarrassment, telling the world is probably the most effective way to begin taking control of one's own shame and embarrassment. Yeah, it can only get better from there. But I mean, you're, 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 you're telling people that you made the choice, you know, to me, it's not telling people that you're sick or that you're diminished or that you're less than who you really are. You're telling people that you have made a choice to, you know, decide to save your own life. And in that sense, it seems like it's inherently good for self-esteem and for yeah. sobriety. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you about number three. Um, mm -hmm. that's a pretty heavy one. And your, your third tip for staying sober is, uh, to love someone. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it, at the tail end of my drinking there, I was involved with a woman that, that I was very much in love with. Uh, and the end of my drinking career ended that relationship as well. Wow. Uh, it's one of my couple of regrets in life that I, you know, I hurt somebody deeply on that day. Um, and it was it was that love that kept me sober in those months, because, again, it was something I wanted to regain. 
Yes. Uh, I did end up getting back together with that person. Um, but, you know, me being in that state of sobriety, we were so far apart. You know, the, our worlds were, you know, completely blown up by, you know, my getting sober. Um, That's right. But again, it was it was it was that relationship that kept me going really in the beginning. There's two people that saved my life. My best friend, he called me um, just before I was going out to the store to get more booze on that day that I quit. It was mm -hmm. so bad that I was literally, I had my keys in my hand. I was going to get in my car and he gave me a call coincidentally at that moment. Uh, and this woman, if it, if it weren't for these two people, well, I'd be dead. Well, it's important to point out when we say love someone and, and I, I, love can keep you sober and it doesn't have to be romantic love. It can be the love of a friend. It can be the love of, of, of family. I mean, just as long as you are treating love as an action verb and giving love, then yeah, that's, that's an amazing way to help you stay on the right track. Um, your, your fourth one is going to be very hard for some people. I think it's a way of gauging where one is on the process. Blame others. I'm sorry, blame, blame yourself, not others. That's a, that must've been tough for you. Uh, it, it was, and it wasn't, uh, because I knew what I was doing. I was, you know, I was claiming to be dissatisfied with life. Uh, right. But I was blaming that on everybody else. That was, you know, I, I made, you know, in writing a book, I, I reflected on all the choices I made in life. There were good ones, there were bad ones, but there were also the right ones. And I didn't make the right choice a lot of the time. I didn't make bad choices necessarily, but I didn't make the right choices. Um, and 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 I only had myself to blame for that. Yeah. You know, I didn't like what I was doing professionally. I didn't really find very many relationships I found very interesting or, you know, felt rejected by, you know, females in the, you know, in the dating, in the dating world, um, wasn't yeah. very outgoing. I was introverted. Those were all my issues, right? Not anybody right. else's. But as you've pointed out, it's so easy to pretend you drank because somebody else let you down. Yeah, it was, it was easier to drink and cover up that dissatisfaction than kind of admit to myself that, like, if I'm going to be happy, I need to make different choices going forward. Well, um, now I start liking your tips even better because your your number five tip for a sober life is to run, just exercise, right? I mean, mm -hmm. how much did your body change? How much did the way your body feel change after you got sober? You know, some physical fitness was always something that, that I did a lot, uh, in the early days, I tried to build this physical physique, this big muscular physique um, that basically covered up the fact that I didn't like being skinny. Um, right. It sort of hid a, you know, an insecurity of mine. Uh, never ran. Um, and I didn't have the energy. Like when I, when I drank, I, you know, you go in and lift weights, but like the endurance aspect of, uh, of fitness, I didn't have. Mm -hmm. I couldn't run more than a half a mile without getting tired or just right. my mind was so was such in a bad place. You can't like to, to run and to be good at it. You have to divorce yourself from thoughts. You got to get out there. You got to turn your brain off. You just got to go. Right. Yeah. And in my diseased brain at the time, it was very hard to do that. So running was a chore. And it was only after I quit drinking that I find the love of running, actually. And I know that when you were in your final days with alcohol, that they, they put you on antidepressants. You're not a fan, right? Uh, no, no, that turned me, that made actually everything a lot worse. Um, not only do those things, I mean, I mean they, they turn you into a robot. 
Uh, there was no yes. feelings up or down. And right. in my experience, I can't speak for anybody else, but that wasn't something of a six mile run couldn't cure in a second. I get it. No, I get it. And, and God bless the people who are helped by, by, by antidepressants. Yeah. Um, and then, absolutely. and then, you, you, uh, number six, uh, reading. That was one that surprised me. How does reading help you maintain sobriety? Uh, I, I just think there there's so many journeys that you can take in the form of the written word, and they, they cost almost nothing. There's so many perspectives. There's so many beautiful things that have been written. There's you know so much information out there, good information. I mean, I I wrote a lot about this in my book, John. You know, we're absolutely bombarded with information on a daily basis, and a lot of it's negative. Mm -hmm. uh, and in reading, you can choose what you're interested in, what inspires you, uh, what picks you up, what forms the basis of faith, if, uh, you know, and, and, you know, provides an element of something higher than yourself, whatever that means to you, it can mean anything. Um, but you have to explore the world um, to be comfortable in it. And and I've read so many different things on so many different subjects that it has created this comfort and this peace that uh, yeah. it can't, that could over, that alcohol has no match for. I agree. And that's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted yeah. to get. I wanted to have a comfort level with the world, but I only got that through reading. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, reading is the best thing you can do without screens. <laughs> One of the best things you could do without screens. Um, now, now for your next item on your list, and I thank you for joining us on this. I, I you know, there's an unfair, there's an unfair stigma some people have about AA, which is that it imposes religion on people. And once you go to meetings, you realize, oh, that's not true at all. But number seven on your sobriety list is um, is faith, is develop a belief in something beyond yourself. And as I'm fond of pointing out, um, having faith or having a belief system doesn't necessarily have anything to do with organized religion. No. And, and again, this is a subject, John, that I, that I wrote a lot about. Um, I've had my, I've weaved my way through a lot of different faith traditions, you know, uh, mostly Christian because that's how I was growing. I, I was raised. Yeah. I uh, never found a real uh, spot that I was comfortable in. I was always kind of a renegade, um, always the guy asking questions and, you know, maybe putting weird thoughts in people's heads, but um, faith has to be uh, something that everybody develops individually. Uh, yeah. There are 8 billion manifestations of, of faith on earth, and it means something different to everybody. So true. It's not one size fits all. And, and you have to believe this is my my opinion. You have to believe that you live in a purposeful place. Um, whether and, and I, you know, I had an interesting conversation with my neighbor one time about atheism uh, versus spirituality and religion. Um, one way or another, it took something awfully intelligent to create us. Whether that was nature or God, or those are manifestations of the same thing. Right on. So I doubt very much that either of those went to all this time and effort to create something just to die. It had to insert purpose somehow into our lives. And once you come to terms with that, uh, within the construct of your own faith, I think the view of the world changes, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe the things that you drank to cover up or you work to cover up or you popped a pill to cover up kind of magically go away. 
I mean, the intersection of faith and logic is a pretty magical place, and you go pretty deep on it here because, yeah. you know, when you're in recovery, faith in something greater than yourself is logical. You know, belief in something that objectively can't be true makes all the sense in the world. And and who's to say what truth is and what facts are as well? I mean, you know, it's not religious dogma. It's you and God, whatever you decide God is. Yeah. And, and there's an element of it. And, I, and funny thing is, I just wrote this on my board the other day because uh, it's so true. When you believe in a higher power, I, I think you try to you stop trying to force things in life. Uh, that there is some element of faith takes over that things are going to be okay. Uh, life is difficult. I think it's designed to be that way. Uh, but there's probably a lot more going on than we know. Mm. And, and just have faith in the in in, in this process called life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I and think finally, uh, the, oh, go ahead, please. No, I mean, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes was by, uh, you know, one of the Eastern teachers, Alan Watts in the 1960s. And he said, you know, isn't it, isn't it strange that we've been given the most complex machine in the known universe? And yet we've had very little training in how to do it. Uh, that the billions of particles, trillions of particles that make up our body just magically know what to do, you know? Yeah. And again, it's so true. It, it, it's it's just astonishing the world we live in, and it you know it just has to have some have some some purpose to it. I, I very doubt very much that, that element was missed, right? I, I I completely agree. This is my favorite subject to talk about. I'm the child of two ex clergy, and uh, I've <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in different ways uh, dealing with recovery. So yeah, I, I, again, it's, it's spirituality is not one size fits all, and I, I think the media is more to blame for us thinking that if you're going to be spiritual in any way you have to be like jerry falwell but um number eight your final item on your list is um get honest with yourself it seems like that's the only way you can approach sobriety isn't it i think so if you don't know yourself better than anybody if you don't know why you do the things you do i write a lot about intent uh i yeah. think that is the key in understanding why you do the things you do uh you know and I've placed a, a large um, importance in my life on being well-intentioned uh, and knowing yes. myself greater than anything else. Because, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't come to terms with your experience of life, then it's going to come out in odd ways, in ways that you can't envision and control sometimes. It'll yeah. come out in addiction and obsessive behaviors. It'll, it'll torment right. you. Will come out in terms of unhealthy self-medicating to deal with the yeah. unprocessed pain, and we've all known how charming those guys can be. Oh, exactly right. The, you know, the, the term "dry drunk" is, is a very real thing, right? So, I mean, you recommend you know all kinds of support groups, not just twelve-step. And again, a hundred and ten twelve-step meetings in ninety days is amazing. But I mean, I know you talk about like there there are support groups that focus on athletics. There are support groups that focus on on religion or or spirituality or meditation. I mean. Just like spirituality, you know, recovery groups are not one size fits all, are they? No, I think it's, you know, it really is anything where you can have a, a common interest with people, uh, something you can look forward to, something mm -hmm. that inspires and energizes you. Uh, you know, there are certain people that spend a lifetime putting energy into other people. Um, but, but you know, most of us need to be energized as well. Uh, so... You know, whether it's athletics, whether it's religion or spirituality, whether it's um, a book club, you know, it can be a lot of different things. I think human interaction, real human interaction uh, is critical. 
What's next for you, sir? I, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see where this this book goes. Um, I write a lot about the subtlety of life, um, yeah. and I was only able to do that because I was able to rid myself of a lot of things that distracted me from seeing those subtleties. Um, and there's just such a beautiful element to the world that once you recognize that, um, again, your view of the world will change. Um, everything around you is an astonishing miracle. Um, going back to all those pages that I've read, you know, the awesome complexity of the world we live in is just a, is a staggering miracle. And uh, if more people recognize that, I think we'd have less situations like we do in the world. I spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill. I spent a lot of time, um, you know, working for big companies. I spent a lot of time, you know, um, you talk about the media. I think we, we just get bombarded with negativity. Yeah. Uh, and I think the moment we kind of go back to the basics is a moment that maybe this world changes a bit. You know, um, I hope I can speak on it one day. I hope I can get out there in front of people uh, in whatever capacity. I agree with everything you've said. I love everything you've said. Uh, Daniel Ohms is the author of Memoirs of an Ordinary Guy, The Everyday Experiences That Changed My Life. Sir, how can our listeners follow you and keep up with what you do and, and, and find um, being able to read your, your eight tips to maintaining a sober life that we just ran through? How can our, our uh, evil army of the night keep up with you? Sure, absolutely. I'll certainly put these eight tips, uh, eight tips up on the website. Uh, I have a website, dannyolms.com. Uh, everything about the book, its reviews, uh, excerpts. Um, and uh, my next project is up there as well. So, uh, yeah, my website is sort of, you know, just, you know, and, you know it links to uh, social pages like Facebook and Instagram. But uh, brilliant. Yeah, I really appreciate everything, John. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Oh, it's a really real. Listen, I mean, honestly, we wanted to do something to honor or or cover dry January. And when I when I read your list, it was so moving to me. And I just was like agreeing with everything. And I I thank you for turning your pain into gold and using your own struggle to help so many other people. Again, the author is Daniel Ohms, O-L-M-E-S, no H, Daniel Ohms. The book is Memoirs of an Ordinary Guy, The Everyday Experiences That Changed My Life. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. John, thank you very much. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. We're going to take a very quick break. We will be right back with open phones all the way till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. Keith Price joins us in the next hour. We will get to all of your calls. I know we have to scream about the debt ceiling and George Santos. 866-997-4748. We'll be right back on Progress. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. 
Look, I, I didn't mind that George Santos lied about the Holocaust, and I didn't mind that he lied about being Jewish, and I, I didn't mind that he, he lied about 9-11, that I, 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 I didn't mind that he, he stole from vets and let a dog die. But I just found out he was a drag queen, and I'm sorry. I just morally, I, I'm not, I can't square that away with my ethics. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's where we're looking right now, folks. Where is your line? As we always say, what's it going to take? <laughs> I've always said, what would it take for Donald Trump supporters to finally give up on him? They didn't care when he lied. They didn't care when he lied 30,000 times. Trump supporters didn't care when he stole from veterans. He stole from veterans, you godless suckers. He stole from vets with his fraud university. No, but if Donald Trump ever showed up wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, dude, they would drop him like he was one of Trump's wives. Let's see what happens with the George Santos story. And coming in, let's let's go to our official George Santos correspondent, our, our special expert, uh, comedy daddy Keith Price, host of Keith Price's Curtain Call, the best podcast you can hear about Broadway and George Santos. Welcome back, Keith. I'm I'm all Santos all the time. I will never be sick of this story. I think it needs to just keep keep on going. Let him be famous. <laughs> I just—he was a drag I saw, queen. I just saw the pictures of him in drag, and it's just like you've got to be kidding me! Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, it's like on the top of everything else. You on also top of did, everything else. He my also God, did drag. dying to know like what his signature number was. Because <laughs> every I mean, girl has. It- I, I, I want to see. I want to see who's not offended by lying about the Holocaust and nine eleven. But it's turned off I, by this. That's what I want. I want I want to see this queen that was the, the pictures with him. They need to get me some video of him lip syncing for his life. Come on, man. No, he did. Oh, I oh. am what I am. And what, oh, you know. He, somewhere there's footage of him singing Santa Baby in Portuguese. You know it's out there. Uh, I have to announce now. Um, listen, before we get before you you make your jokes, everyone, uh, we, we can we can put the internet to bed. Chris Hauselt has it. Uh, Chris, what is the name of the new uh, uh, GOP reality series? Oh, you're talking about uh, Rand Paul's Drag Race. That's the one. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Keith, yesterday. Yesterday, we found out that he had scammed these former U.S. service members to to raise $3,000 for their dog who had cancer, and then he stole the money and the dog died. And we found out that he's been lying that his mother died because of 9-11 because of the fumes she inhaled that day. And we now know his mother wasn't even in the country that day. We found out last week his name might really not be George Santos because there's a whole lot of video of him saying his name is Anthony DeVolder. I had no idea we would wake up to this today, Keith, that that it was, we've now crossed the Rubicon into Republican drag shows in Brazil. You know, the thing that makes me laugh so hard is that you cannot tell me that this information was not available before this guy ran for office. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if, if, if there's a thorough vetting of anybody that, you know, our government does, like they got all like deep into the fingernails of people. Oh yeah. So, like, the mere fact that all of this stuff that we're seeing is coming out after the fact, to me, shows the lack of either 
they have no idea they don't care because they were so busy trying to get what they want so to not do the research or yes. they did the research found it out and decided that it's worth not saying anything like you know they may have discovered it mid mid process and then just decided to just keep it under the wraps and hope no one discovers it <laughs> but it. as my, my mama always used to say whatever you you do in the dark will come to the light <laughs> And now clearly he needs better lighting because you know <laughs> you know what that harsh lighting when you got that daytime drag going on. I I'm just like I said I it, the 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 hilarious part is all of the stuff that we're talking about. But you have to also admit, getting back to you know my normal conspiracy theory, Please. that we are spending a lot of time dealing with this conversation about Santos on just on a regular as a whole, yes. right? Yes. And, yes. and in the process of doing that. We've left these, you know, the um, the Jim Jordans and the Marjorie Taylor Greens. They're staying out of the fray while they're doing all of their dastardly, you know, horrible. Let me take over these committees and fuck up the world system that they've got going on right now. And we're not paying any attention to them because we're all so busy laughing at <laughs> Miss Honey Cakes. Okay, fair point. <laughs> fair point. And they're... what's the name? Katara. That's his name. His Katara. Name. Yeah, Katara. And it's a it's a fair point. I mean, yes. You know, I mean, what would be more like you know liberals or Democrats than focusing all on this one clown and ignoring the real menace? This is what I keep saying. I know that Donald Trump is hot glued to everyone's frontal lobe, but Ron DeSantis is the greater threat to American prosperity, liberty, and voting rights than Donald Trump, who will never fucking be president again so you're right exactly. there is a danger we're focusing too much on the george santos i mean what would you i would call it a, a shit show <laughs> that's inside a train wreck within a dumpster fire <laughs> in a cluster fire it's hard to get all those all those at once on fire and underwater at the same time exactly um, but he's managing but keith at the same time though we have to talk about it because oh yeah it's it's part of all the nefarious doings the GOP is trying. Yes, they are going to try to force cuts in Social Security and Medicare. That's been their dream. That was the one thing Bush didn't get to do. Um, right. But but to me, A, uh, we need to grab George Santos by the ankles and beat the GOP with him. For me, the more coverage <laughs> he gets, the more their corruption stays on the front page. Because the real story about George Santos is not that he's this Leonard Zelig sociopath. It's that his crimes and lies are acceptable to the Republican House members. And that's why it's a scandal. Exactly. Because if he was a Democrat, if he was a Democrat, they would not have let this punks be sworn in. That's what Democrats do. They shiv their own in the back. What's his name? Uh, uh, Al, uh, the senator, Al Franken. Al Franken. Yes. Look at what happened to him in a, in a matter of minutes. He was gone right away. And even, There's never an investigation. I mean, look, 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 look at uh, uh, Spitzer. Look, I mean, so many John, so, John well, Edwards, I mean, so many know, Democrats. That I was name. kind of scandal. That was a big scandal. Like you you oh. couldn't step away, Mr. Spitzer. I'm sorry. Well, you yeah, know. I mean, you know, come on. It's get, like. Look, I, I know Spitzer personally. I, I've worked with the man. I have a lot of respect for I thought he was going to be the first Jewish president when I first met him. But yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. look, you're in charge of the state budget and you have an escort who's like $400 a night and you make her take Amtrak when the shuttle flight's only 45 minutes. That's just bad <laughs> with money. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't, Elliot. I can't. I can't. I can't with you. 
So, I mean, how does this end, Keith? What do you think? Like, I, I, I'm enjoying the George Santos story. I'm glad it's on TV. I, I, it's oh, keeping yeah. people engaged. He's a great villain. It's hilarious. And to me, it's just That's like he's a, he's a very effective messenger of the, of the, and the message is GOP hypocrisy. I don't care what he did with his life. I, I don't care what he did with his life. What I care about is the fact that he's being in a position to mess with other people's lives. And, and so was Trump. They didn't care about Trump's lies. I mean, Donald Trump well, lied about so much they didn't care. He might have, absolutely. But but the thing is, you know, we are the ones who are having to deal with the the behavior of these people and how, you know, right now with all the foolishness that they're planning on doing with Social Security, what they're going to do. Well, thank God that there's a, a Senate that's already said we're not going to, like, pass any of your foolishness. So yes. as far as, as the money stuff is concerned, that's a good thing. But the time that's going to be wasted for the next two years of them flipping and flopping and, you know, grandstanding, saying that they're making all of these changes and they're doing all these things when in actuality they're doing nothing. And You're these right. people are still supporting them because they choose not to look at the entire picture. And it's like, you know, if if we're going to try to reach those people, then those people have to open up their eyes and they're not willing to do it. So now since they're not willing to do it, as I've said before, especially when the Democrats had the majority, that they should have stepped through all of that process, just like Beyonce and them, when Destiny's Child was on the park, 106 in Park, and Miss Michelle fell down at, at the opening of the number, and those two sisters kept walking, and they kept on singing while Miss Thing was on the ground, got herself up, and then started doing the choreography. And I feel like the Republican Party, you know, the Republican Party is poor Michelle when she fell down. Because if you're just joining are... the show, we have transitioned from Star Wars metaphors <laughs> to Destiny's Child Beyonce metaphors seamlessly. Keith, go on. I'm sorry. Thank you. I do my best. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> but it's sort of like, you know, it's that whole idea that we're just going to have to let the whole Republican Party implode explode do whatever it is it's going to do and let them figure their shit out and then while while we have the majority and they're still farting around doing all their other stuff we're going to get stuff done because in yeah. the end the stuff that we're trying to get done is going to benefit all of those stupid people that choose not to believe in anything anyway i know, Ask the folks I know. That got the but again but it, but it doesn't but but it doesn't work that way because as long as you have right-wing christians who don't give a shit about what Jesus taught, but think abortion is all that matters, even though the Bible never bans abortion, Jesus never mentions mm -hmm. it, and they vote against every fucking thing Jesus taught. As long as you have millions of these people, Keith, it doesn't matter how many times the Republican Party implodes. Those folks don't have anywhere else to go. Mike Bloomberg should give $2 billion to the Right to Life Party and just, you know, completely divide and conquer the GOP, but they, they're not smart enough to figure that out. So again, it doesn't matter. I mean, after George W. Bush, they thought there'd never be a Republican president again. The, where, where are conservative folks supposed to go? It doesn't matter how many times the Republican well, Party blows up the economy and, and the deficit. They don't care. They don't care. And so, again, since since you can say that they don't care, I know that they don't care. I can see that they don't care. These people that are supporting them are supporting them because of the abortion thing. And it's yeah, like, you're right. you know, they're supporting them because, you know, he's going to put all these conservative judges in. They're supporting, yeah. you know, they're, they're doing they're doing it for reasons that they believe are better for them and for all of us. And that's just I not agree. the case. And I, you know, and again, when we are in the place of having the majority and we choose not to get the work done that needs to get done in spite of the foolishness, because, again, like I said, even though Obama was like shooting for his four term, his two terms, 
is like if he'd have gone in there with gangbusters when he had that majority that he had going into that 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 uh, Congress, I really yeah. feel like we could have gotten a lot more stuff done. I know, and, I, I, and, I know, and done it be and done it from the place of not you know because again, but like you know, you know, Obama about, only you know Obama only had a sixty vote majority for like thirty days all told, right? I mean, there was like Ted Kennedy was dying, Robert Byrd was dying, Norm Coleman and Franken were in the runoff. Uh, you know, like there was mm-hmm. like he really didn't have. A veto proof, but but again, there's a lot they could have done, and and you know, look, I'll criticize and it all day did. long. They they said we and can't they do they said we can't do public option because that would take reconciliation. We don't want to do reconciliation, and then they used reconciliation to have Romney care. I'm sorry, Obamacare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like yeah, we can. It's all you know. just it's all you know half a dozen of one to six. And now that I criticize Barack Obama for ten seconds, I'll get a bunch of angry liberals calling the show saying what a sellout, <laughs> and fake, and Trumper I am. Yeah, Keith, we have a we have a lot of people on hold. Do you want to talk to some of our evil army of the night? Are you ready, Let's folks? We are taking your it. questions, your comments, uh, your threats, your bad jokes, uh, and your relationship <laughs> advice needs. Keith can help you with anything. Should you fake your orgasm? Well, if you're a guy, sure. But you know, Keith will answer any. Anything you need. Deal it in Texas before the break. Welcome. You're on with Keith Price. Hey, hey guys. Um, Hi. I love Bernie. Thank you for all for that. And but I love Keith more because he's my Thank comedy you. cheesecake. <laughs> he is mine. Yeah, mine too. I'd vote for Keith. Um, I'd have all my all my anyway, special electors vote for Keith. Right. He's the best. Um, your interview and I never have enough time to say, but your interview. With David Holmes, uh, yes. kind of hit me because um, I went for like 25 years and I didn't drink because I was a designated driver and it was no big deal. Then I took for 25 years case. straight. You were the designated driver. You 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 might want right. to reexamine your friendships if you had to do it every night for 25 <laughs> years. But go on. Well, actually, it's for my husband because he's he brews beer and and holidays and stuff. He likes to share and stuff. So, anyway, no big deal. But then I took this uh, anti-smoking medicine uh, to help me quit smoking. Right And on. it, like, shut down half my brain and made me really depressed. And, oh. wow. and then this was during COVID, too, so um, I wasn't you driving. Deto- you detoxed from cigarettes during COVID? You're my hero. Wow. That must have been so hard. Yes. <laughs> and, but what happened... It made me really depressed, and then one evening, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to drink a beer, and I drank a beer, and it kind of reopened those pathways in my brain, like, oh. the, to enjoy shit and the, the pleasure <laughs> right, I get that. Part. Yes. Yeah. And wow. so, I went for, like, you know, I don't know, earlier this year, I was like, oh, this is cool, I'll just drink some beers and shit. And then, anyway... um, I realized I was stupid, and so I went back to smoking weed more, and that helped too. But um, anyway, so David really, you, you're just—I like, mean, Celo, like, what? Why, why are you I holding off you, on, on on crystal meth? Why? Why wait? I mean, crystal meth is right there this whole time. <laughs> right I mean, you keep dancing around the inevitable here. Come on now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I would never do that shit. That's what's wrong with all these crazy people. California all these sober, trumpers, they're all meth sober. heads. <laughs> That's what it is. I live around them. I know. I absolutely I know. know. Chris, what are you well, saying about uh, California sober? What? Well, you know, when you don't drink but you smoke pot, they call that California sober. Oh, yeah. It actually is. <laughs> and they actually give that. you the pot in 12-step meetings in California for alcohol. It's yeah. true. Yeah. But I, want, I wanted to put this out here. I wanted to put something out in the world. 
Um, okay. I don't even know what the Republicans are talking about about our stove, the stoves taking away our stove. Okay, but. here's a, there was a study. A study said, hey, if children have asthma, it might be bad for them to be around gas stoves, and this turned. Right into a bunch of Nellies shrieking, the Democrats are coming to take your gas stove! Take pie mine from my cold dead hands, asshole! And these <laughs> fucking Nellies, these overwrought drama queens, these homophobic bitches, lost their shit because, again, they have nothing to offer white people except outrage. Right. They don't give a Crazy fuck about shit. the dumb suckers who vote Republican. They'll just tell you what to be pissed off at. And they're coming to take your stoves. And the number of Democrats or scientists who have called for ending gas stoves is zero. Right. That's listen it. Listen to this shit. There is a thing called a Jesus stove. Okay. And I have a relative, well, not not blood relative, but anyway, I got you. Colorado is Latter-day Saint. They, there is a Jesus stove, and this blows my mind, that is set, and you can't use it on Sunday or the Sabbath or whatever your day oh, is. Oh, I see. Because you can't be trusted just to not use it. You have to have a button on your fucking stove so you don't cheat. Huh. Wow. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I think that's really weird. Jesus stove. Jesus stove. I swear, uh, Maytag, Whirlpool, they all make them. I've Googled it, and I was shocked. I hung a wooden cross on my wall, and I call it my Jesus back scratcher. So, I mean, whatever works, you know, just... (laughs) They'll make a buck off of Jesus any way they can. You know, Seal, I, I want to recommend a, I want to recommend a movie to you, uh, the Academy okay. Award winner for uh, for best screenplay in twenty twenty one, Another Round, starring Mads Mikkelsen, okay. um, and it is a film about some professors who try an experiment in university uh, to see if a little bit of drinking improves performance and. It is a shocking film that could never be released by an American studio, but it's called Another Round wow. with Mads Mikkelsen. He plays the bad guy and everything. Uh, it won the Oscar. It is a bonkers pro-alcohol movie that I recommend very highly. I'm, I'm going to watch it. because, Well, you know, the, the crap they give you for your that shuts off half your fucking brain, that's not good. Yeah. I know, I you know, know. Believe me, it's just. I mean, that's good. what. I mean, that's what this show is. We're we're crap that shuts off half your fucking brain too. Sheila, thank you so much. Yes, Chris. I use. I've used that Jesus stove. She said out in Colorado in the high elevations. I've used one of those before, and I How'd it work. I, tr- I tried to make some bread in it, and I couldn't tell if it was the elevation or the. I realized it was the Jesus stove. It took three days to rise. I just. I knew it was going to come. I knew it. But I didn't know. I what knew it. Would it. Be. You know what? We should just we should just be quiet and just let it sit there for a minute. Just let let him think about what he did. He used to rise. It's, it's a pretty funny joke. <laughs> oh my god! This show we've been talking about dry January, and we're all sober, folks. We're all, I don't know about Keith, but we're all sober. All right, this is Sirius XM. I'm John Fugel saying peace.